Hi, welcome to Infinite Leaders Live, the podcast that shares real life lessons from real life people. We're really lucky, we're really fortunate to speak to inspirational people from around the world every week. People that are able to help people in organizations, in positions, regardless of role, rank and responsibility. As usual, I'm joined by my co-host, Alan. How are you doing, Alan? Yeah, good. Thanks, Lewis. And we're proud again to wear our Tsunami products. And Tsunami is the number one choice for Eco Sportswear. And I'm really excited by today's guest. And he will certainly talk about the things you don't get taught at university or on any courses. No, this one uh, it will be rich in detail with loads and loads of takeaways. So have your uh, pen and paper ready. And we love your feedback. So please do get in touch with us. Uh, you can find us on Instagram, YouTube, Twitter and on all major podcast platforms and also at theinfinitelearners.com. Be better educators, be better humans. Alan, let's get stuck in. Great. Now get your notepads out. There's going to be some absolute gems of wisdom coming out of the show today. Daryl Nickel is a personal trainer and functional patterns movement specialist. FP is a concept that supports humans to live intentionally, not habitually. He's originally from Scotland, but now resides in Perth, Australia, where he runs his own gym, FP Perth. In a previous life, he was an electrician, and he's also a semi-professional footballer. Now, Daryl became a human biomechanics specialist in 2018, and we can't wait to hear his thoughts and interpretations on functional patterns. So welcome to the show, Daryl, and Scotland to Perth. Tell us a bit about that one. Yeah, thanks, guys. Um, yeah, we, uh, me and my partner, Alison, we, um, we came to visit on holiday, um, and... Uh, 2014 I think it was um, and it was uh, December January time so going back to Scotland in January coming from Perth uh, sunshine was uh, a bit of a shock and um, yeah purely a purely a decision based on the weather really um, we thought we need to we need to get over there and live so um, we made the move in 2016 and uh, yeah I've never looked back absolutely love it is, I, I remember the same uh, conversation with my wife, Daryl, where we were teaching in the UK and we went over to Spain to look at a school over there. And as soon as that sun was out, I think the decision was <laughs> yeah. made. Tell us a bit about the, how difficult is it, though, as, a, <laughs> as people who are living in the UK and we have lots of listeners there. That decision is not to be taken lightly, is it? It's a huge, huge move. Tell us a bit about how you can, the process to yeah, make that it's, decision. It's a, it is a huge decision, you're right. Um, and uh, we were, we got back to, to Scotland in January. Weather and we thought, about a crack. And, and as big as a decision it is, and this is probably more on my part, I'm pretty good at doing these things. I'm like, what's what's the worst that can happen? So we get over there, we, we hate it. We think, oh, we've made the wrong decision cool, let's just move back to Scott. Like at the end of the day, it's, um, it, it's a huge decision. If it works out well, if it doesn't work out well, we'll just come back. So um, we were pretty keen. Um, it's obviously a little bit nerve wracking as well, but the, the process to, to get into Australia is very difficult. It was a 12 month process for us um, trying to get a visa. Um, so that whole application process was, was pretty stressful, but um yeah, with the way of the world today, you know, with, with what we're doing just now and, and um, people able to fly across the world, um, families have been able to come out and visit us and things. So, um, yeah, it's, been, it's, it's, it's just been fantastic. Um, it's, it's something that not everybody, you know, it's, it's not for everybody moving locations and moving to a warmer climate, but um, we've certainly never looked back. 
And then fast forward a few years from uh, from there, Daryl, and you were in uh, in Alabang in Manila, in I think it was 2016 where we met, wasn't it? Uh, on yeah, the yeah. Uh, the functional patterns uh, biomechanics course. And um, for me, I, I was I was very new into reading about functional patterns at that stage. And I went to that course, and it absolutely blew me away in terms of the depth of it, um, in terms of just the, the talking through of it, the sort of explanations around functional patterns. And I'm going to ask you a difficult question, and I know it's difficult myself. I'm not sure how I'd answer it. But for our listeners, what, what is functional patterns? What makes it different to other training programs? Why isn't it um, maybe a, just a fad or a way of training that involves certain sets of reps? What sets it aside from everything else? I think um, you're right. It's 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 a it's my answer to this probably changes daily, but um, I'll give it a good crack. I think on the surface, um, so from the outside looking in, functional patterns is, um, and and I, I'll, I'll preface this by saying this is um, I'm not speaking on behalf of of functional patterns. Um, I'm not employed by the company, so this is my interpretation of of what functional patterns is, but. On the surface, um, looking in, functional patterns is uh, a training system, a training methodology that um, that prioritizes biomechanics as a fundamental pillar of health. We we prioritize biomechanics as as one of the most important aspects of health. Um, that 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 would be from a, from an an outsider looking in, once you get into to functional patterns and, and, and you get in deeply, um, it then also becomes um, almost a way of life whereby um, changing, your, changing your structure physically, i.e. then in turn um, changes your hormonal um, responses and your, your hormonal balance, which then in turn changes your behaviors and changes your decision-making. If you if you go deep enough into it, it can become a point where um, where on a second by second basis, the you're then concerned about the decisions you're making always having a functional um, context. So every decision you you make throughout your life is is based around functionality. Will this will this help me um, improve as a human? Um, and that's getting like like pretty deep into it but the actual training system itself um the 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 theory or methodology behind it is like if you look at um and and quite often we'll think of ourselves as as um as people as lewis as alan as daryl the personalities but we have to remember that we're we're human beings we are just we're a living organism we're we're an animal like like every other animal on the planet and we have a long evolutionary process that's went along with that. So what functional patterns has said, like one of Naudi, the founder, his taglines is um, train in relation to your, your biological characteristics. And what I think he means by that is our, our physique, so the, the actual sculpture of our body, like the reason we have two pecs, the reason we have two glutes, the reason our muscles are formed in the way they are is because of a process of evolution, which has involved us becoming upright, standing on two feet, walking and running. That has happened over millions and millions of years, but that has literally sculpted how our body looks and also how it functions. So each muscle has a function to perform. So what we're saying is that um, 
during those motions, during walking, during running, and during throwing, there's a certain sequence of muscle actions happen. Those, those muscles, those sequences are happening, is, is what sculpted the, the formation of our body. So what we're saying is we should look to train those sequences. We should look to, i.e. If, if when you walk, you have one glute contract and the opposite lat contracts. That, that's how uh, a functional body should operate. What we're saying at functional patterns is we should train those sequences. So when one muscle contracts, the, the muscle that, that goes along in that sequence should also contract and drive length in other sequences as well. Um, it sounds pretty complicated and, and, it, and it is to a certain extent, but um, really to, to simplify that, just saying that the human body moves in a certain way and it have, has moved that way for millions and millions of years. So we think that your training should, should revolve around those movements. So, so by isolating those movements you talked there about, was it um, running, walking, throwing? Yeah. By, so by isolating those movements, are, are, we, are we suggesting or are you suggesting there, Daryl, that optimal human performance is very much factored around those three things. And actually what's happened over time is optimal human performance that people perceive isn't essentially optimal human performance. It's optimal sporting performance. And there's clearly a difference between those two things. 100%. Yeah. But I, I would definitely agree with that. Um, the, the human body functions a certain way. It's just like, again, if I take it back to being an animal. It's like, um, you know, if you have a dog, right? Or let's say I, I used this example before, but let's say you owned a racehorse, um, and you, the racehorse has a, you know, you've got you've got a big race coming up, and you say to the trainer, "How how is it going? How's the racehorse going for this big uh, Cheltenham race we've got coming up?" Um, and the trainer said, "Yeah, I've got I've got the horse lying on its back, and um, it's it's using its front two hoofs to to press something up the way you'd be going, sir." Sorry, what? <laughs> First of all, let me see that happening. <laughs> but secondly, um, I need this horse to run. Like the, this horse has a certain movement pattern. That, that, that's what it does. It runs. Like, um, so it, it, we often think of ourselves differently because, um, well, for whatever reason, yeah, maybe sport is a good, good thing to point to. But we have certain sequences within our body that, that – that is our locomotion. And um, yeah, we think, um, and it's not to say that we're just stuck to those movement patterns, but I think we've, we've gotten so far away from those that, that we need to kind of reverse engineer a little bit before we can then progress to, to some other things. Yeah, there seems to be a suggestion there from what you've said that the, the, the walking, running and throwing is part of our evolution. It's part of what makes us human and, and bipedal and different to so many other mammals. But there, there has been a change to human behavior over hundreds of years, you know, including things like the, the, the start of building muscle, for example, in the last 20, 30 years has obviously been a, a huge sort of social media focus. It's been a, a body aesthetics focus. It's very much a, uh, something that people are aiming for in terms of their daily training. And, and that example you've just given us is a quite an enlightening way of looking at it. You know, you wouldn't expect a horse that's designed to run to be, to be doing a bench press. So how have, how have humans got into these habits and, and, and how, if you can speak to what some people perceive as functional movements, um, are often things like 
those core lifts, deadlifts, squats, bench presses. When you use functional movements, what are you relating to and how have we got ourselves to this stage that we're at at the moment as human beings? I think, um, I think really deeply, a thing that I kind of touched on is we've, we've forgotten that, that we, are, we are this living organism and, and all like over the last couple of decades, um, you know, um, university degrees have kind of been built on this stuff and built on training and, but really there's, there's a lot of semantics involved in that. And what, what are we actually trying to, to achieve there? It's like, again, let's use the example of a dog. Okay. We want to make this dog bigger and stronger. We wouldn't then like isolate each individual muscle and try and like build some resistance on each muscle in a way that is totally outside of how that dog operates. So I, I just think we've, we've almost forgotten that, that we're an animal and we have certain, certain biological needs. Um, whether that, that goes further than movement as well, you know, in terms of, in terms of your overall health. But I think we've, we've gotten so far away from that um, purely by, by forgetting that, that we need to be, um, that nature sees us exactly like it sees every other animal and we can't, we can't get away with, with thinking we're, we're different. Um, I think um, the, the, the term functional is, is kind of over the last couple of years anyway, it's kind of boomed and um, it's used quite a lot, but really shouldn't, shouldn't all, I mean, what the word functional, like to have a function, to, to have a, a, a purpose, it, isn't that the reason of all training? Like, shouldn't, shouldn't that, maybe if you set aside kind of the bodybuilders who who I actually don't mind because they're, they're like, look, we have no interest in functioning. We're just want to look a certain way. And it's like, yeah, cool. At least you've separated yourself. But when it comes down to like maybe the strength and conditioning field, it's like functional training shouldn't really be called functional. It should, it, it's just training, you know, like to, to give it a term, which means that it works outside of the gym. Isn't that, isn't that the purpose of all training? It's a good point, Daryl. It's a really good point. I'm, I'm just thinking about the average Joe, Daryl, who, who pops down to the gym and they get a fitness instructor who shows them a, a set of circuits on weights. They give them a bit of time to do on a treadmill, on a cross trainer. Are we saying that that's wrong then, Daryl? Should they be doing something else? I, I will never say that, um, that something is right or wrong. I've been there. I was a regular personal trainer and I was there. I was, I was the guy who was taking my client onto the bench press. So there's absolutely no um, criticism on my part in terms of um, what's wrong. I just think it's um, maybe enlightenment or um, I think it's a little bit further than a different perspective. I do, I do believe that there, there is a certain way the human body um, should be trained or there's a certain stimulus that needs to be applied to the human body. But um, I definitely wouldn't say that, that um, the, the fault lies at the the feet of the trainer we've kind of been like um clouded with with so many things and, and, and so many articles and, and published papers and all this kind of stuff and, and then a whole industry is built and then everybody kind of just follows the same and then it's, it's a little bit mindless kind of um yeah we're a little bit like zombies like the people that are going to the gym are just going because they've heard going to the gym is good there's not really much thought has gone on gone into that because you know, everybody's busy with their own lives. Not everybody has the has the time to sit down and think about their own body. But I definitely think um, 
there's a lot better ways to do it. I'll say that there's a lot, there's a lot better in my opinion to, to do things um, than, than, yeah, than your, your stereotypical trainer in the gym taking somebody through a circuit. Like there's, a, there's a point there to be made as well. That, um, and again, I don't blame them for not thinking about this, but if somebody has certain movement limitations, which from my experience is, is like almost everybody that I've came across, um, we have this kind of idea in our head or generally in society, we have the idea that, that any sort of movement is good. So just, just, just move, just exercise. And then you have to think about like, is that the case? Like if, if you do have certain movement dysfunctions that, that with every step you take, there's, there's a stress response going on in your body. And then you go and try and load that step or you go and try and, I don't know, whatever it is you're doing at the gym, um, you put load on top of that structure that's already compromised. Is that like, evidently, is, is that a, a, a good thing? I'm not so sure. I do want to come back to a couple of points you made there, Daryl, that I think are great for us to come back to um, maybe a little bit later around the, the sort of idea of any movement is good. And also around that idea of, um, I think you use zombies as the term, of people just sort of blindly following and just going with a crowd, which I always think is a really interesting dynamic sociologically and actually to ask questions and to consider whether that's right for you is undoubtedly the right thing. And you touched on time constraints and whether people maybe even care enough to stop and think whether it suits them. Um, what I, I want to just go back a little step to a phrase you used earlier about sort of reverse engineering movement. And, and we touched upon those um, functional movements um, in, in a functional pattern sense around throwing, um, walking and running. And I, I want to know what this sort of reverse engineering looks like. So is there a suggestion that we've got ourselves into some poor or some uh, less than ideal movement patterns as humans? And that's where you talk about movement restriction or maybe pain, mm -hmm. if, I'm, uh, if I'm right on that context. And then once you're in the, that pain and you're in that limited sort of movement area, whether it's through pain in joints or whether it's through um, issues with hormonal changes or, or whatever it is, there, there's some sort of problem that's stopping you moving well. What does that reverse engineering process that then I imagine allows you to lay foundations to move in a better way, what does that look like? Can you start to articulate that in some way? Yeah, I'll try, I'll, I'll try my best. It's a very um, difficult process, but let me, let me say this. Let's say and I'll try and explain this as like simply as possible. Let's say um, you're dealing with somebody who has a certain um, posture. Okay, right. So let's say we call it an anterior pelvic tilt. So let's say their pelvis is tilted forwards, which means, or which usually means their, their hip flexors, their hip flexor muscles are going to be contracted in, in chronically tight. So they're just, they just always have contracted hip flexors. So it doesn't matter what they're doing, if they're walking, if they're squatting, if they're, whatever movement they're doing, they're using their hip flexors. They're, those hip flexors are, are contracted the whole time. Now, a, a muscle needs to go through um, a length potential and a contractile potential to operate functionally. So if those hip flexors are, are, are always on, it means you're, you're using them for every single movement that you do. So what we do is, is we take take people through um, through these slow corrective exercise whereby we'll get them to perform a movement and we'll, we'll 
ex will we'll communicate to them the way we want them to move their body so that their, their hip flexors are forced into a lengthened position whilst maintaining structural integrity in the rest of the body. So it's not to say that, okay, your hip flexors are super tight. Let's just stretch them. We, we need to think about the, the actual operation of the human body. So again, just stop me if this is, if this is just sounding like um, I'm babbling on a little bit, but if you think about, um, if you think about a joint in your body, okay, so um, I'll, I'll, I'll use my, my elbow joint and you can see that. If, for, for, me to, for me to stretch my tricep, I need to contract my bicep. So that there's a relationship there. If I, if I extend my elbow, that lengthens my bicep and that contracts my tricep. So there's a relationship there. So when we're talking about um, taking a hip flexor and, and asking it to, to become lengthened, we need to work out where we need to contract in the body to lengthen that hip flexor. And that's why we have um, a little bit of a gripe against your, maybe your traditional forms of stretching, whereby you would, you would if you were gonna stretch that tricep, you would maybe pull this hand down. Now, when I do that, I've completely lost my bicep contraction. I've now distorted the relationship between bicep and tricep. So what we're saying is a, a muscle, the length in the muscle should always be driven by a contraction elsewhere in the body. So what, what we do with, with people who have, in whatever the movement limitation is, the example I gave was, was tight hip flexors, we'll hold their bodies in, or ask them to hold their bodies in certain positions, which allows us to lengthen those hip flexors whilst driving that from a contraction elsewhere. These movements are always derived from walking, running, or throwing. So can, can I ask a question on that then? So in terms yeah. of that example of the hip flexor, what you're, what you're not trying to do, if I understand rightly, is stretch that hip flexor in isolation without any sort of rhyme, uh, or any, sorry, not rhyme or reason, but any sort of um, thought around the effect of the rest of the body. So your usual, let's grab our foot behind our hips and really yank on our leg and stretch our quad sort of stretch, it, it would be out of the question in this sort of context. Exactly, because what you're doing there is you're taking away the hamstring contraction. So when you contract your hamstring, that should drive length in your quad. Remember, we're again, I'll go back to being, being animals. Like stretching of muscles should happen. If, if, our, if our bodies are operating optimally, if you watch a dog sprint at the park, he, he gets that stretch in the muscle and he gets a contraction in the muscle. Get, so stretching should happen if we're moving optimally. Yeah. So what we try and do is take people through through optimal ranges of movement um, and try and lengthen those tissues that are overly contracted, as an example, um, trying to drive that from, from muscle contractions. So you're driving what you call that length potential, but also understanding that there's a wider system that affects that. You're not just trying to isolate that down to one muscle. You're respecting right. the fact that that's a full body sort of function. Absolutely, yeah. So with that in mind... Would this be a, an example where if you do a deep lunge, you might feel that in your quad. When I do a deep lunge, I might feel that in my glute. But actually, it, 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 we should do both. It should do your hamstring as well. It should do all three. Would that be where maybe these tight hip flexors have a sort of real-life context or a fitness-based Absolutely. Context? Great, great example. And that then that that leads you to the, um, the kind of like the, this 
semantics of exercise, if you like, like, let's say you, you go to see a, a, um, a health professional with a certain issue and they administer that you do um, 10 lunges, three sets, um, and you do that a couple of times a week. For, for the exact point you made there, you, Lewis, take that program away and you do your lunges and you're, you're just feeling all quad and you're like, okay, Alan takes that same program away and he gets it all on the glute. How, how is that exercise the same, the same exercise? Like we're, we're, you're activating a completely opposite muscle group, but yet that, that exercise has been programmed to, to fix whatever movement limitation you had. So the, the fact that, that, that um, we kind of like put this notion on certain exercises, like that's, that's what will fix us like this. That even even functional patterns like the techniques are fantastic, but it's one hundred percent about the application of those techniques. So the the specificity is is what will solve the problem. If you just take away an exercise and just go through the, the ranges of motion in the exercise, but you're feeling it in a completely different muscle group, then what are we doing? We're just we're just randomly moving. Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah, no, I'm starting. I am. Alan, you take over here because I'm aware I've got some sort of background knowledge of functional patterns. And I know that for a lot of this is the first time that you've heard some of it. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm blown away by it. I've, I've got a surface level knowledge of it. And yep. I remember, I don't know if you've read the book um, by Chris McDougall, where it's a natural born heroes about the guys who were in Crete um, the, in the Second World War. And they were running across mountains. These are the, the Greek law, the, Cre- the Cretans, they're a, they're a special breed, apparently, from this right. book. And they were used to running barefoot across the mountains, very little water, very little food. And they were outrunning soldiers. The, the Germans mm-hmm. couldn't catch them at that point. And they put this down to this, this evolution of they can just run really well because yeah. they're used to the terrain biomechanically they're absolutely unbelievable and for me here it's how do we get this across to the normal person Daryl this, this this is where I'm at with this uh, and I, I'm sure my wife won't mind me using her as an example she she what she wants to get fitter she she'll go to the gym she'll go for a walk but how does she get this functional movement pattern into simplifying it for her to make sure she's moving properly because there's no point yeah. going to the gym if you're not moving properly. 100%, yeah. And this is where I'll shamelessly plug functional patterns here. The, the, the system that the founder, now Diagular, has created um, does exactly that. It gets the... So the, the, the first step is, um, if you don't have a practitioner that you can go and work with and learn this sort of stuff, is they have an online 10-week course. And he literally breaks it down, um, breaks it down right to the foundations whereby... Um, it starts off with some myofascial release where you're just releasing tissues um, essentially making yourself more supple to, to get into these positions that we look at. Um, literally, literally, literally breaks it down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and it, then it looks at like the foundation. So, so how to actually, how, you know, the core is kind of something that's been, uh, especially in the fitness industry, everybody talks about the core. You need a strong core, but like, it, it, FP, it's it's done so detailed that 
the reason for having that special core is even that strong core, sorry, is even broken down to, to the point where the way we perform a plank, which is, I mean, the plank is, is got to be one of the most um, used exercises out there, out with functional patterns. Everybody uses it, but the difference between a, a plank and FP in the traditional plank is, is almost a great indicator on the whole difference of our mindset compared to the traditional mindset. So, when we take a client, or sorry, when, when I take a client through through a plank, um, we're literally being so specific in terms of holding their spine in a neutral position, trying to get their core to hold their spine in that neutral position, which if you get that perfectly, you're talking between five and 10 seconds before you start to, to kind of lose that form. The The mindset elsewhere, I think, is has been a case of like, let's just fatigue that core. Like that's all we're concentrating on is feeling the burn in that core. But forgetting that the purpose of the exercise is to train the core to hold the spine in a neutral position. So the second you drop out of that neutral position, you're then training your core to hold your spine in that non-neutral position. So the, the, the premise of the, of the 10-week course is also like a, a change of thought in terms of, how we even view exercise. So not just trying to fatigue muscles, not just trying to um, expel our kind of pent up energy, actually actually having a, a purpose. And that's where the tagline train intentionally, not habitually. It's um, everything is done with intention. What are we trying to achieve by this one exercise um, instead of just, um, yeah, let's try and burn some calories. Often, talk to us about that fatigue versus sort of progress relationship. Often people go to the gym, and, and, and I, I've been one of these people, certainly not so much in the last couple of years, but before, you, you'd, you'd hit the gym four or five times a week. You'd try and do that around the sport that you're playing, and you went literally with the intention of, I'm going to work as hard as I can in this next 45 minutes because that's the amount of time I've got. I'm going to make sure I'm really tired, and I'm going to feel good about that afterwards. And don't get me wrong, I certainly did. Um, yeah. until I started to get some of these these twinges and pains that start to direct you towards looking at alternative ideas of where you're going to go with fitness and movement. Tell us about that, that relationship. Why is fatigue not necessarily an indicator of progress or delayed fatigue an indicator of, pro of progress? Well, I think um, just going back to, to a point you made about training, you know, three, four times a week and things, I think from my perspective, I think that most people – because um, we've been told, uh, you know, exercise is good. But, but I look at it and I'm think, I think, uh, again, I look at other animals and I'm like, I think most humans are dealing with a stress, a stress level that's, that's fairly high. Um, maybe like a, a consumption level that's, that's fairly high as well. Then we think that we need to get our exercise above that to, to relieve our stress, which is where you get that kind of, that good feeling from. Um Essentially, what, what functional patterns has taught me is that instead of thinking about, okay, my, my, my stress is up here, my um, consumption is up here, let's train above that to try and balance out that equation, is let's actually live a little bit more, um, let's live a little bit more, uh, without this might sound a little bit woo-woo, but um, a little bit closer to nature in terms of our, our behaviors so that we can take our stress down um, balance our hormones so we're not consuming so much and then the exercise 
doesn't need to be as frequent. Once, once you, you change the structure of a, of a human and you alter those, those hormonal imbalances whereby we're not, um, we're not responding to stress to the point where we're in fight or flight a lot of the time, the actual need to go and fatigue yourself um, randomly is, is almost gone. Like I, 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 and, and Naudi is, is, is talking about this a lot at the moment in terms of he, he, barely, he barely works out and he's, he's, he's like doing very, very well. He's in fantastic shape. So um, I think that's the, the, the first point that needs to be looked at is, is why, why do we feel that need to, to go and burn off so much energy? What are we doing in the rest of our life that is causing us to, to, to feel that need? So, I, go on, Alan. I would, I just want to, the quote there, that, yeah, that's brilliant. To not work out and be in fantastic shape. Is that not like, is that like the, the golden ticket? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's in, in, the, in the thing with, um, the thing with Naudi, which he's proven in the past, and, and I've absolutely no doubt that functional partners will want to prove this, he, he will lay that out for, for everybody to follow. And, it, and, and it's only going to gain momentum or people are only going to believe him like at the moment if you're looking from an outsider and you you'll see now he's saying that online and you're like oh yeah cool that's that's a good sales tactic you don't have to work out and you get in shape yeah that's that's all it is but once the the practitioners start following that and then we we start hopefully implementing that with our clients then that's when it goes oh we like there's a lot of people doing this um there's a lot of people that are seem to be fairly balanced in their behaviors, feel, seem to be fairly balanced um, throughout their day. They're, they look like they're in great shape. They, they claim they're not in any pain and they don't seem to be doing that much exercise. Um, yeah, it's like, it's, it's the dream. <laughs> so, so I mean, basically what you're saying is essentially that the way to look at it, if I'm understanding this correctly, is not that, it's not that exercise is something you should avoid. Um, but it is something that you want to be looking slow, slightly with a wider lens on. So your lens on, on exercise and fitness shouldn't just be about what you do when you're active. It should actually be about all that time, which is, let's be honest, 98% of the rest of our lives where we're not necessarily doing structured exercise. That all builds into how effective that 2% that of our time is actually spent um, or 10% of our time, depending on how active we are. But if we can take into account, like you said there, maybe bringing our stress levels down, looking after ourselves and our well-being, and at the same time with consumption, I'm presuming you're meaning calories, food, alcohol, yeah. drugs, etc. Absolutely. And, and bringing that down to a more manageable level or a level that we actually need on a on a cell basis, then actually life is more simple. And because our, of the hormone changes that happen through that, then our exercise becomes more beneficial and are somewhere along the right lines. Absolutely, yeah, you, you, you pretty much nailed it there. I think um, just being more intentional with, with what you do. So, okay, uh, I mean, I could, I know several people and I would say the majority of, of gym members, um, it's like you've going to the gym is good. We've, we've been told... I feel like I'm unhealthy. I need to do something about it. I'll go to the gym and I'll do whatever is there, or I'll, I'll go and do this exercise. And, and I just think it needs just a little bit deeper thought to think, 
that term exercise is kind of just a word that means moving around with some sort of effort. So, um, yeah, I think people just need to think a little bit more deeply about it. When, when it comes to FP, what I've found is that actually making biomechanical changes, so making structural changes has a, a, um, a direct influence on your hormonal um, responses, um, which then if you're going to get deep in that, then has a, has a direct influence on the um, decisions you make and your behaviors because you're not... Um, you're not under or you're not you're you're dealing with stress a lot better meaning that your decision making becomes a lot better meaning that it's it's kind of like it comes full circle everything comes together um at once now you could make changes in other areas of your life before you look at your biomechanics of course um but i think when you combine the two when you when you change your structure and alleviate yourself from pain um and you have your body working a little bit more optimally it, it means your hormones are starting to work a little bit more optimally. We're, we're etching our way towards that, that homeostasis where we're, hormones are acting as they should. Yep, the stress response is there and it should there and it should be activated at certain times, but it should also drop back down. Um, and, and, and that in, in turn with, with making some slightly better decisions in life, um, it, it, for me, that's, that's the, key to, the key to being a functional human. The... I love all this. It's so intriguing, Daryl, to listen to it. I'm, I'm just going to bring this back to something I was reading. I was rereading James Clear's Atomic Habits recently and great book about habits, but does talk about humans wanted instant gratification where things are easy. Mm. This doesn't sound easy, Daryl, and that's no disrespect <laughs> at all. <laughs> no, you're, to the normal you're... person who wants to just go to the gym, smash it out, feel better, done ticked off the list this is not easy is it this is a conscious change and people sometimes just don't want to have time to research and go ahead no you're 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 absolutely right and and those uh and people are like the you know they're welcome to to do that they people do that they go to the gym and and get that ticked off but my concern is like at some point down the road you're going to come across um some sort of issue and Although this may seem um, like the much harder route, and, and it is because it's a seismic change of, of your whole way of living, even like how you perceive the world, it's, for, from, from my own personal perspective, on the other side of that is like, is anything you could ever, the, the balance that you feel in your tissues and in, in, your, in, the, in the way you think is like, I, I, I could sell that to anybody, honestly. It's 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 phenomenal. Um, but there's 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 no doubt that it's 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 a difficult process. But what what I find is that starting by so let's say somebody somebody is in pain um, and they and they come and see us instead of trying to maybe um, preach these sort of things is we institute like a mechanical um driver if you like to to for so we will literally change the structure of a person like like literally change their their the way they look and the way they move which whether they like it or not <laughs> will change their their hormonal responses now that doesn't automatically mean that they're all of a sudden making all these um great functional decisions there's still a lot of mental um side to that as well but i think once you um once you put that in physically to somebody 
and, and alter their stress response and give them a, a few other tips on the side that it doesn't have to be this, um, this huge decision that that's made instantly. It's like, it, it almost comes to you because, because you start to feel better within your body. You're like, actually, and, and I, and it, and it, and it took me a little bit of time to, to get rid of my injuries and things. But once you start to feel better in your body, those decisions don't really become, it's like, do I want to partake in that? Actually, that's going to make me feel, feel worse. Like, why, why do I want to do that? I'm on this path where every month it goes by, I'm, my body's feeling better and better. I'm getting further away from those pains uh-huh. and dysfunctions I had, um, which were attached to certain behaviors that I had. I'm like, I don't want to go back to that. It's not a case of like me being, um, me being strict or myself or me um, withholding myself from anything. It's like, no, I, I genuinely don't, I, I don't want to do that. I, I, I want to carry on this path because it, it feels great. So to, to get to that stage of what you've described there, mm. it takes a lot of self-awareness as well, right? It takes the, the opportunity for, for one person to, to stop and to consider what their habits are then to consider what kind of pain that they're in, either whether it's psychologically or physiologically, then to start to consider how they address that pain. There's a, there's a, as Alan said, there's a real journey there, and that's tough. And we're in a world at the moment where, and we're in, we're in this business as PE teachers, where making children and making people active or encouraging them to be active is a really positive thing. Yet what we're finding here is that unless your movement patterns are, are good, and well-structured in the way that you move, sometimes that can be detrimental. What could be the negative impact of people maybe overthinking this sort of, right, I need to get out and be active? And what's the argument for sometimes just saying, right, and I know I might not be doing it correctly, I know I might have these aches and pains, but I need to be active and that's good for my health. Mm -hmm. Where's the sort of balance and the argument between those two? I think this is the way I see it, and and, um, I've heard Naudi touch on this, and this is kind of where I got this. I, I see it as like, as like maybe like levels, let's say like levels of, of health. Let's say and this is just a, like an analogy, but let's say it's like one to a hundred, hundred being like optimal health, health, you're going to live forever. Okay. I think let's say somebody's sitting at level five. Now it might be true enough that, that going out and just doing whatever to, to try and get their stress response down, going out and doing any form of exercise that might get them to level 10, but, but we're looking like way past that. How can we get humans to like an optimal level of functionality? So um, let's say like going out for a bike ride, that might enable somebody to lose some weight. So maybe that gets them to like level 15 in terms of health. But like, we think there's a more direct route to get above that. Um, if that kind of makes sense, this is an analogy and I'm not, massive fan of analogies but like um i i think there's not always just a that is wrong don't do that that is wrong i think it might get you to a certain stage um but like at the moment our kind of as a as a society in in the western world you would probably look at a human and think if if they get to if they live till they're 90 years old and let's say from the age of 60, 65, they're on medication, you'd be like, that, that's, that's a pretty good life, pretty good innings, normal, well, maybe past normal 90 is pretty good, um, but on some sort of medication to get there. 
and this is where the, the different perspective comes in. Functional patterns is like not not happy with that. Like that's that's not good enough. We want to get to ninety and still be running. We we want to be functioning well all the way through our life, which 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 means that you need to be making decent decisions for for a large portion of that. Um, so going back to, I think you touched on it there with, with you two being teachers as well, like um, trying to implement that to, to children. Um, I mean, I, I only found functional patterns when I was um, 27, 28. Like, and I look back at my life the years before that and I'm like, geez, like I, I wish I'd found this when I was a kid. Like, I, I wonder where I could be just now. Um, and that's hindsight's a wonderful thing. But yeah, if you could implement that to, to children um, and just, the, just the, the, the basic concepts of that. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying everybody has to jump on functional patterns, but this kind of um, way of thinking, if you like, is, is a little bit, it was a huge eye opener for me. And just, just, to, give, just to give them a different perspective on, on um, how they can view their life really. Do you do you have any tips, Daryl, for for the, those teachers out there, and on how we can help the kids? Because we we see every day we coming in and they're walking into school and their hips are out of line, or you see mm. feet that are slightly out of position. That there's a limp there, and I, I was unfortunate, Daryl, to spot my my son when he was three years old with a with a slightly sort of off gait and it's only through watching movement that we see that and he was diagnosed with leg, leg calf perf disease okay which, which is obviously where the femur is not fitted into the socket properly okay. and the problem with him i'm trying to get him to do uh movements and, and physio to go around it but for kids it's boring daryl they don't want to yeah. do boring functional they want to be playing and active so how can we we help them but also keep it engaging yeah that's 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 a great point, and there's a lot of um, there's a lot of practitioners out there on on Instagram things all over the world. FP practitioners that are that are doing that, that are working with kids. And you're right. I think it has to be. Um, I think like anything, um, it comes down to maybe how it's taught. You know, if if the teacher is really passionate about it, and and they're they're someone who the the child looks up to and respects, then. Um, I guess it's all about delivery, like how, how to deliver that message to the child. Um, it, it needs to be made um, enjoyable for sure. Um, and if, 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 if you could, if, if people could get educated in this stuff, like if the teachers could, could do the 10 week course and get educated, then what I always think is the results that you feel are, are what makes you go, oh, this is good. Like, I like this because you, you physically, so it almost forces you to, to, to go down that path because it's not just a case of somebody telling you that, oh, this is good for you, do this. Once you start to feel um, a more structurally sound body, once you start to feel tissues connecting with each other, it's like, oh yeah, this is, this is fun. This is good. Like, I, I like, I like this a lot. Um, I've never worked with, with young children with it. So um Specifically, how you would um, implement that with with younger children, um, I'm not I'm not absolutely sure on that. But one thing to to think about as well is like, and, and this comes down to to kids at school, is like as a as a um, as an animal, how how many people in our culture are are able to 
are able to sprint, even if you forget about like um, good form and, and, and good biomechanics and things, how many people in our culture are actually physically able to sprint? Like, like you take the dog to the park, you let them off the lead and they, they're boom, they're, they're sprinting, they're, they're zero to 100%. Yeah. I think to myself, I, I, apart from the athletic types, there's really not many. Then, then you, you take that into school. I think about when I was at school, um, you know, you'd, you'd maybe have certain, um, certain types where I don't know if it wasn't cool to fully exert yourself. Or, and then you think to yourself, you're talking decades upon decades of, of an animal not, not going into a full sprint. I mean, if I had a, if, if my dog went to the park and after three weeks, it, it, it just wouldn't sprint. I'd be thinking, yep, there's something up with this dog. Um, so I'm uh, like into your, into your adult life. I mean, I'm trying to think to myself, how many adults do I know who, who can go into a, a maximum sprint? There's not many. No, and, and, and you know what, what, dogs do, what dogs don't do when they go to the park is, is say to their owner, I'm, I'm just going to do a quick warm-up before we start this, this run. <laughs> you know, and, 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 and as adults, we do, and, and, and everything you're saying is becoming much, much more clear in terms of like, contextualising it. And then, and then a, a, a recovery protocol before they go to the park three hours later. <laughs> and they're just going to take a, a cold bath, otherwise they're going to be struggling for tomorrow's walk. But, you know, we laugh about it, and I know that the science is quite new in all this, Daryl, and, and I know that a lot of this kind of stuff will have naysayers and pessimists that will say, well, show me the data, show me the research. That's mm. coming, but just from a contextual point of view in terms of teaching, I thought you raised a really good point, and you keep bringing it back to being mammals and humans, which I think is a key part of our conversation today. And you talked about children being inspired and, and having teachers that, that care and make a difference. You know, step number one, I think, for any kind of progress is going to be that, and, you know, as a, as a non-teacher yourself, that, that isn't a pedagogical secret. You know, that, that's, that's part and parcel of teaching and delivery. I think it's really interesting looking and, and referring to what Alan just said there about children walking into school, you know, maybe with, with, with feet that are externally rotated, maybe with hips that are off, maybe with a poor movement pattern. You'll go to your local park and see a park run and people heel striking the full five kilometres and, and their, their bodies and their upper bodies moving in in distinct independence to their lower bodies. And you can see these bodies not being used in an efficient manner. And bringing it back to, to children for a minute, I want to see if maybe I'm simplifying this too much and what your thoughts are on this. If we're teaching children fundamental skills and movements, then this idea of running, throwing, uh, running, throwing, walking, and, and being in control of their, car, their core is really important. And I think the way that I try and get this across to teachers is by looking at a student that you might have, and Alan, I don't know if you'll agree with me with this, that's maybe nine or 10 that's done gymnastics for five years. Yeah. You look at a student that has, that has been a gymnast for five years by the time they get to 10, 11, and this doesn't necessarily have to be 20 hours a week like some of the, the more elite athletes, but an athlete, a gymnast that's been regularly attending, really well-drilled, really well-structured, really entertaining, enjoyable uh, gymnastic sessions. The difference between those children and others when they get to that age, you can see. You can see it in their body movements and their control. But I think the key bit we're talking about here and where teachers can start to bring in something that's quite easy with children is body awareness and is a, is a mind-body connection of being aware of the movements that they're making and why they're making the movements that they're making. Would that? Would you agree with that, Alan? 
Yeah, I mean, I've got living proof, haven't I, with 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 my kids of a, a, a daughter who's. I've got twins, Daryl, and obviously that the, the comparison is <laughs> is always the case. And I've got yeah. a daughter who went through the gym program at, at the British School Manila, where Lewis and I worked, and and she's got phenomenal physical literacy. Right? She could turn around to anything. She can move. We were at the park yesterday, and she's climbing up rocks, and she's just rapid. And 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 I contrast that to to my son who couldn't do the gymnastics because he had the leg cow's perf disease. And the core is not there and the movement is not there. And he, and he won't mind listening to this and admitting it because he had a three-year window of not having functional movement patterns. Which is an interesting and, one, Daryl. You'll love this. So the, the, the cure to a, a child's femur not being in its pelvis was to, to stop that child moving for three years and, and to make sure that that was the way that it was treated, which I'm sure from what you just explained for the last hour, you have your own personal view on it. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. I've never came across that specific uh, issue myself, but um, yeah, you, you, I guess like we feel, uh, or I feel that um, functional patterns has a better way of doing things. I've no doubt that this will evolve and you know look back in ten years and say, okay, we've now found a better way than we were doing it ten years ago. But um, I like I, people are just dealing with 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 the information that they've got at hand or, or the information that they think the information that they've been taught, let's say. And so with that, with the treatment being um, not to move it for three years, they're just, I guess they're just, um, they're doing the best that they, that they think they can. And they're, and they're doing, they're doing what they think is, is, and, and what's, um, and it's not like a, it's not a bad system to have, you know, like it's all, um, information that's that's been passed down and i i personally just feel there's there's better way to do things but um yeah i i don't um i definitely wouldn't criticize anybody for 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 that decision oh no not at all i mean it, it was the right medical decision daryl to to isolate it because you have to get the blood flow going to the femur yep. and he had a, a physio program it's just interesting when you when you don't have that three years of moving mm. in a crucial period how that impacts down the line Absolutely, um, and what also for me is is with this is how individualistic that this is. Everybody moves differently, and and when we're in a group situation in school, it's catered towards the group. Mm. With trying to look at functional movement, you you you'd be catering twenty four different lessons going on because yeah. everybody moves differently. Do, do you do group sessions or is it more individualistic where you, where you work? We do, we do um, group sessions um, and we try and keep the numbers to a minimum for, for that reason. Yeah. So we can, we can yeah. stay on top of things. Um, and the, the group sessions are completely different to, to the one on one stuff where we do, where it's a little bit more specific. And then we try and take those, those patterns that we feel like we've coded in and we take that into a dynamic context and, in the group and, and allow people to kind of um kind of feel their way through certain movements um i think with with children and and this is just um i've got absolutely zero experience working with children to back this up but i feel like um to start with obviously early on in, in their life they're they're obviously more um more malleable and more um susceptible to to have this information 
inputted into them. So even if it was just a case of like within the group working on things like throwing um, with some very basic cues on, on how to throw the ball, um, in, instead of uh, like once we get to, to the adult stage, like I touched on earlier, it's kind of like reversing, um, reverse engineering the problems that they already have ingrained for decades. So we have to be super, super specific with that. But I think um, with younger children, as much movement limitations as they have, they, they haven't had the, the decade upon decade of, of hammering those in. So even if it was just a case of um, possibly, yeah, going through some activities where we're, we're learning how to throw the ball reasonably well um, and, and incorporating some running and things, um, just, just some short um, running, um, just going through those movements, I think, I think would help at a, at a younger age. Yeah, and also, Dali, you think about this last year where they've been sat on a device for the vast majority of their yeah. sort of their day. And I, and I know my kids are not through any fault of their own. They've got online school. They're spending seven hours plus sat on a, on a device. Yeah. How does that really affect them anatomically? Because we're going to have a lot of parents listening to this who Absolutely. want to know now how how can we now reposition them because they're hunched over, their hips are all over the place. What what can parents do to help their kids who have been sat for a marginal It's part a great of point. I think um I think one thing to, to be aware of that, that that um comes with that is the actual um the the blue light you're getting from the screen itself. If you could I mean if those things have to be done, if it could be done in an area where you're either outside or you're getting some sort of natural light um in your eyes as well, like the the, the damage that, that that can have in your physiology, that, that's a completely different conversation. And it's a huge, huge conversation to be had as well. But in terms of like um, their, their physical posture when, when they're doing that, it's, it, that's the, the problem um, is the fact that this, the seated position, it's like, it's not necessarily position that's the problem it's the fact that we're we're adapting to that position um usually through through taking on forms of stress in that position so if you think about your our stress response um it, it's there it's there to keep us safe so we we come into um some sort of danger every uh, every energy in our body is sent to our muscles so that so that we can run or we can fight okay um we're now sat at a desk where we're engaged in work. It's actually, and, and we're taking stressors from our environment as well. So we're still feeling those levels of stress. Our stress response still works the same way, except that we're not, we're not running away from that. We're just sitting in that seated position and taking that. So, so our muscles are literally taking that, that stress in that position and, and we're adapting to that position. Um, the, the, the example would be, again, go back to dogs. You take the dog back from the park, it goes straight into onto the couch or, or, or its bed and it'll lie there for a couple of hours. It gets up, it goes to the park and it, and it sprints again. So the, again, it, I think a, a, a bigger question to ask wouldn't be necessarily what position are they sitting in? Like, sure, you could ask them to get up every now and again and move around, but more so like, how can we, um, how can we make sure that the majority of their, their time is spent, um, either in a, in a more natural environment or, or not stressing over things that, that, that are causing them to have these issues in their bodies. So, um, and, and that's like, that's 
going way deeper than just you know asking them to get up and move around but if we can if we can get their physiology to not not be stressed in those positions whether that be from from external factors like like your blue light or um or the fact that they're they're stressed with what it is they're actually doing and and give them a a, a better outlook on on actually how to how to behave in terms of the, of their health you know like um like some really simple things like just getting outside a lot more like just getting outside um not being stuck indoors whilst we're whilst we're on these devices i know that the work has to get done um but if we can add those sorts of things in into their daily routine um setting certain time limits on these devices um and yeah and trying to trying to have a more well-rounded approach to their whole day um to, to essentially look at it from a from a health perspective not just necessarily the, the, the posture that they're sitting in whilst they're doing it yeah that, i think i, I rambled on a little bit there but it, it does but it comes back to that same sort of uh, message that you, you you've sent throughout our conversation here daryl which is around you're not trying to necessarily hone in and if it is posture as adam's example posture on a chair you're not trying to fix the posture by being conscious and changing your posture as you're sitting, you're actually looking at all those other factors that sort of amalgamate towards the result that you've got there. So you're not necessarily just trying to make a, a diagnosis based on, on curing the symptoms. You actually look at trying to adjust the other parts around that, that then have a knock on effect onto it. Exactly. And this is why um, it, it's, it's quite a difficult sell to sell functional patterns because Alan could ask that question to, um, another modality and they may say um here's a quick fix i don't know um sit with a cushion in a certain position and that'll yeah. that'll fix your and, issue. and that's what people want daryl they want a quick exactly. fix don't they yeah exactly and that's a quick easy but but is it a fix or yeah. is it just catering to that okay i'll do that because that's an easy our our cell with functional patterns is so much more difficult because you asked me that question and I ask you to look at the behaviors of the human. So it's like, yeah. well, wait a minute, what? Like I'm asking you how to improve the posture when I'm sat on a device and you're telling me I need to get up in the morning and get outside <laughs> and change my whole behavior. And it's like, yeah, like that, that's the message I'm trying to get across is, 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 our, is our behavior on a, on a second by second daily basis needs to change so that our physiology will change so that we're not adapting to these positions because we're under so much stress. Yeah, and, and you can you can pick that in a myriad of examples. Going back to the sort of gym one, well, I want to go to the gym, okay, but I don't go after work because I'm tired. Okay, why are you tired? I don't really have enough sleep. Well, okay, what do you eat during the day? Well, I skip lunch because I'm busy. Well, you're never going to get to the gym after work because you've not had enough sleep and, and you've not actually taken on enough nutrients to actually feel like you want to. And, and it brings us back to that sort of zombie idea that you came at earlier. And I, before we wind down, I just want to explore that a little bit and just give us some sort of idea on the kind of things or the kind of approach that you're having to life and, and some maybe FP, FP uh, people and, and, and clients mm -hmm. are that sort of looks away from what everybody's following. So I can see, for example, you talked about blue light and you've got a red light bulb just behind your head. I know that you've experimented with fasting. Can you tell us a little bit about some of these things? Why, why on earth you tried some of them? Because there's some that I, I certainly probably wouldn't be queuing up to try myself and what kind of uh, impact they've had on you. Absolutely. Um, everything that I've, um, that, I've, that I've tried and learned has, has came through functional patterns and um, they've pointed me in the direction of other people like uh, this guy, Dr. Jack Cruz. Um, and it, it, 
for me, it's like, I, I just test these things like, okay, they, it's like a little criteria that, that, I, that I have in my head. One, does, does it make sense? Like, is, is what this person's saying, does it have any sort of like, does it make common sense to me? And I'm like, yeah, that actually makes some sense. Okay, let's, let's try it. Let's actually try it. And then it's like, did it work? Did, did you feel any benefit from it? And that's kind of like the, the, the criteria I go through. And it's easy enough to do that. It's like the things that I've said today, just, you know, test it, te test it out. But um, there, there is a, I definitely say the, the way that, um, the way that I live my life and a lot of other FP practitioners live life is definitely outside the norm. Um, and there's probably things that, that I'll forget here that just seem normal to me now, but we're very much focused on um, trying to set a circadian rhythm. So trying to, we have like a circadian clock, which, which should be governed by the sun. So when the sun comes up in the morning, that should tell your tissues it's time to go. When the sun sets at evening, it should be time to go to sleep. Um, your, your cells should be governed from that from the action. That should be your clock. Now, obviously, we have jobs to get to. We have, we have to live in, in, a, in an unnatural environment. And, and I get that. I, I'm not saying we all need to go and live back in the woods. But um, there's little protocols that, that, that I use, um, which I've learned um, from the people I mentioned. And things like the first thing I do, um, if, if you can get up in the morning and see the sunrise, make, make the sunrise the first light that hits your eyes and hits your tissues. I, I, I guess people still do this, but I haven't done this for so many years. I, I think a lot of people, the first thing they do is look at their phone or they'll maybe um, switch on a house light. So the very first light they're getting is, is that artificial blue spike. Um, so if you can, if you can get outside and, and watch the sunrise, if that's not possible to you for, for timings and work and things, the, the whole day can be spent just trying to get as much natural light in your life as possible. So trying to be outside whenever you can, um, going several steps further than that, which we do at, at nighttime um, in my house, there's no, there's no um, blue light. There's no of your traditional lighting. We have, we have some, um, some red lights, which, which would mimic um, fire. So if, if you could have some, some candles and things, it's probably better, but um, we, we just have some red lights in the house, which, and, it, and it's all geared towards essentially getting better sleep. I think as a, as a society, again, we, we, we somehow have um, forgotten of, of, of what we actually need to be healthy and, and sleep is, 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 is there. I was speaking to somebody the other day and they said like, oh, yeah, I've heard that's, that's like pretty good for you if you get more sleep. And I'm like, yeah, it's, it's sleep. Like it's, 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 it's there for, it's, it's like every other animal on the planet is not cutting their sleep short. Um, so everything that, that I do in terms of the, the light environment um, and um, not eating after a certain time at night, try, I, I try not to eat um, on a rough rule of thumb, try not to eat after the sun's gone down. And um, we do some other crazy stuff like uh, turning off the, the Wi-Fi at nighttime. It's all geared towards getting better sleep. And until you experience this, until you give this like a, let's say a three week shot and, and you start sleeping better, it, it, it's absolutely profound the effect that has on your health. If somebody had asked me five years ago, do you sleep well? I would have said, 
Yeah, I think so. I think I sleep pretty well. It's not until you get good quality sleep that you go, oh, well, I, I was not sleeping before. That, that wasn't sleep. What, like, what I'm getting now is, is that sleep. I, I wake up in the morning and I'm, I feel completely recharged, com- completely re-energized. And I'm ready to attack the day. I feel, I feel energized by my sleep. Um, so all these, um, all these protocols that, that I follow, um, and, and there are so many, you, you mentioned fasting as well, um, which, which is something I, I just experimented with again and just thought, um, let's test it out. And again, it, it's worked wonders for me. Whether that's for everybody, um, I don't know, but I, I definitely think people could do with eating less, that's for sure. Um, but all these protocols, if, if, if I was to, to simplify it, it's, it's really just geared towards getting good quality sleep. I think that is ultimately one of the most fundamental um, pieces of the puzzle. Where does um, caffeine and, and alcohol fit into that, Daryl? Do they things you tend to avoid completely? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Try to. Um, the, um, like, uh, again, I kind of touched on it earlier. Like, a lot of these decisions for me, they're not something that I am... And, and uh, people will quite often ask me this with, with diet and things as well. It's not like... Um, I am being strict with myself. It's not like I'm, I'm like, oh, I really, I really do want that, but I'm just not going to do it because I know it's not good for my health. It's, it's way deeper than that. It's like, I feel improving your health and improving your sleep. I, I feel that great that I'm like, and, and, and it seems to be improving that, that feeling. I'm like, I, that, that thing, that, that, coffee or, or that food or whatever it's not it's actually not appealing to me it's not it's not that I'm having to um to avoid it or anything it's like yeah that that doesn't that doesn't actually appeal to me something that fuels fuels my body and and, and makes me feel good will actually taste really good to me and something that, that doesn't it, it's definitely not like a choice I have to make anymore it's just that it's it's like it's physically been been implanted in my body that I, I feel that good that I'm like yeah that, that's an easy decision to 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 bypass that that's a, a a change that's been constant but massive over the last six seven years then huge like like even shorter than that like I it, it's a it's a huge change like people talk about <laughs> not being able to you know some people will never change I have like not only physically have I changed as a as a, as a person like my structure's changed but like the, the decisions I make on a on a second by second basis, I am literally a completely different person. Like I was just, yeah, I wasn't into any of this all just a, a few years ago. Um, I was just your regular, yeah, regular guy. Yeah, played football, one of the lads. Just, it, it, I literally, I, I can't emphasize enough how how much it's changed my my perspective on on life. I guess. <laughs> And, and all, be- all positive benefits. Have you seen anything that, that has been tough or it's been negative along that journey? There's definitely, it's all, um, there's definitely things that um, might appear difficult to, to some people in terms of like the, the social aspect to that. So I think, um, I think if, if, if our society was more geared towards being, like more geared towards functionality in terms of instead of um, socializing and, and like I'm, I'm all for um, socializing, but does that, does that socializing um, bring 
something to your life? Like, does it, does it enhance what you're doing or are, is it just kind of like, for a lot of people, it's actually doing the opposite. It's, 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 you know, detrimental to their health and things, but I guess the, the difficult thing with this path would be um, you end up not partaking in the, in the, the normal um, social uh, things that people do, you know? Um, yeah. And yeah, uh, it's, um, again, it's like, it's it, trying to, I think you guys are, your, your podcast and things is, is about leading and, that for me is like my my challenge is is to try and is to try and show people. So it's these things are great where like we can get on it and talk about the whys behind what what we do. But like I want it to be and, and this is getting led from Naudi at the top and, he, and he's kind of like put this into me as well. Is I want the people around me and the people that I ha- I do socialize with to to look at me and go shit like he he's like. <laughs> That that's that's why what I'd be like. He's forty five. He's fifty. He's he's moving way better than us. He's not got all these these aches and pains going on that we're talking about. It's actually starting to bore me now. All the other stuff. I just want to get my body good. I I, I want to like follow this guy's path. So I think it has to be it has to be shown first. It's all it's all good me talking about these things. But if I if if, if functional patterns as a as a community, if you like, can can actually physically show people that. Whoa, these these guys look like they're having a good time. They're, they're actually they feel really great into their fifties, sixties, seventies. Then it's like, okay, there might be something to this, you know. Certainly, is proof is in the pudding, isn't it? As a as the expression goes, we're we're going to wind it down now, Daryl, and we we're going to ask one of my favourite questions. We're going to have a bit of fun with it. Yeah. Um, just touched upon leaders there. Give us give us your three leaders you'd love to go out for a meal with. They could be dead or alive. Could be anybody you wish. Three me, three leaders to go out with. Three leaders. I'll um, I would take now Diagular as my first one, um, and um, uh, from my from my football background, I would uh, I would say Roy Keane. He um, yeah, he really fits a lot of my uh, of my sort of like. Uh, beliefs and things especially in that sport but I feel like you'd be a really interesting guy um to speak to I'd love to, and... I'd love to see the conversation he'd have about <laughs> functional movement yeah he'd have a right Barney with him he'd chin you I think <laughs> um and the third one I guess I I I actually read his book on leadership and going down the same the same sort of my background is obviously football so I'll go uh, Alex Ferguson um I, I really enjoyed his book on 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 decision making. I thought um, there were some really interesting points in that. Yeah, there's that the book leading. It's a really good one. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Cracking book on books. I've got one for you, Daryl. What what have you read recently that's good? Whether it's a little bit left field and a little bit out of people's comfort zones, or or whether think, it's something um, a bit more mainstream. The um, I mean, I've, I've got a couple of books on the go at the moment. One is about water and things and all uh, these other sorts of strange stuff. But one thing that um, the, the main book that is recommended um, by Functional Patterns to, to learn this, this way of thinking, if you like, is a book called The Tyranny of Words. And um, if you were to read that book, you'd be like, what? This is n- nothing to do with biomechanics or movement or exercise at all. But 
it's um it's 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 literally that it's a book on words and a book on semantics and once you read that or this is this is my experience anyway i read that book in in that was the 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 red pill if you like that was the like oh wow like this is we're all kind of playing these games around words and, and especially in, in the industry that I'm in, the, the fitness industry. Um, that was a huge eye opener, that book, The Tyranny of Words by Stuart Chase. Um, it just, if I was to give you like a quick um, rundown of, of how, it, 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 uh, how I perceived it in, in, in my industry, it's like a lot of um, training systems are built around um, words. So like, let, let's say strength, right? It's a really popular popular thing in the fitness industry we're gonna we're gonna build your strength but it's so contextual that that word that how does that apply i mean you could um have a guy that squats 200 kilograms in the in the weight room general consensus would be pretty strong guy he then goes into the park and does the most fundamental movement a human could do and, and runs and he tears his his hamstring <laughs> My opinion, weak, weak structure. So where's the strength? That's two opposite things I've said there, strength and weakness, and yet it's applying to the same. So that book um, is just literally a book on words, but it made me look at my industry and I'm like, right, all these kind of things that, that these ideas that people are, are, are pushing and um, we've got whole you know, industries and things built upon them, I'm like, yeah, that's just words. Like it, there's so much context applied to that, that that you can't just say we're we're ultimately improving somebody's strength or we're um yeah, be be more flexible. That that guy needs more flexibility. Like what, what does that mean? Like like specifically, what does that mean? Um so yeah, that that book would be uh, <laughs> it's an awesome read. Well, we'll add that to the list, Lewis. I think everything at the moment that we're hearing on the podcast is that the context provides the narrative. Is that right, Louis? Yeah, definitely. And I think what Daryl's really conceptualised throughout this whole conversation is that, um, yeah, pick a, a training programme or a training sort of system that suits you, but, but bear in mind the impact that that has on your wider life and the wider life and the impact that that has on the training system that you're choosing. And although we're talking about functional patterns as a training system in many respects, it does take into account and it does allow respect for everything around it that feeds into it. And, and, and that's, that happens both ways. Um, and I think you've been really clear in getting that message across now. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks a lot. Cool. I've really enjoyed it as well, guys. Thank you. Um, Daryl, just before we wrap up, can you tell us where people can read more about the work you're doing and, and the great stuff you're doing at FP Perth and also a little bit more about the background of FP and, and where they can get involved? Yep. So um, my, um, my website is, is functionalpatternsperth.com um, and um, the Instagram, which is which is where you'll kind of see all the, the more recent stuff that we get up to is um, FP underscore Perth. Um, you could, the, the main um, website for functional patterns is just functionalpatterns.com and it's got loads of, um, loads of info on it, loads of um, uh, good videos and things, but also loads of really um, interesting uh fitness equipment different tools that, that aren't often used in, in the rest of the industry so it's um it's really worth having a look um and they obviously have an instagram as well think functional patterns um instagram yeah i, I, would, I would check those out for sure 
And a good place to start is the 10-week course, is that right? 10-week course, yep. That's that's um that's the the the, the best place to start. If you if you lived um in the vicinity of a, a functional patterns practitioner, um, then that's that's doing that with the 10 week course is um, that's that's ideal. And and a personal plug for Daryl, I, I had some online sessions with Daryl through lockdown, and they were absolutely superb, and, and and I made a hell of a lot of progress in terms of pain management. So thanks for that on a personal note, Daryl. And uh, yeah, he practices what he preaches, and he's a he's a great instructor. Uh, guys, search uh, Infinite Leaders Live on YouTube and IGTV and theinfinitelearners.com. We're on Twitter. We're always up for a conversation and your feedback, whether that's uh, constructive or whether that's for praise. Please click subscribe. Please leave us a review and we'll see you next time. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Thanks, Daryl. Thank you.